So we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And the main idea or the purpose of this lesson is that when we devote ourselves to God's Word, God will enable us to resist the world's pull towards godlessness and instead pursue righteousness. And to know that Scripture is God's Word to His people, to feel confident that God will use His Word to empower us for wise and righteous living, and to commit to reading the Bible regularly to cultivate a love for God's Word. And I will read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-17. through 17. And it's, again, these, these questions are challenging, so... I'm not asking any questions right now, but as we ask the questions tonight, just listen to the questions and really analyze. These questions probably provoke more... uh, They probably provoke more honesty uh, than I would... um, I guess what I'm trying to say is these questions are a little more intense than, than questions that I would come up with on my own. And that's a, I, I see that as a good thing, but they're challenging questions. So just be honest. Even if you don't speak out loud, be honest with yourself as you evaluate the questions after we watch this video. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but but denying its power. And again, remember that uh, Paul's talking to Timothy here about uh, encouraging, encouraging him in his faith. I just want to remind you all who's, who's speaking and who's being spoken to. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men will also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people will or evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite verses right here. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Play the video, God. Please. 
Welcome to session five. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We're talking about going against the flow. When I was growing up, my family would go to the beach for vacation, and we would all go piling into the water. And my parents would tell us, pay attention to where you are. And what they meant was this, is that there's always a current in the ocean, whether you realize it or not. But you typically don't realize it because you're just with all your friends and cousins and brothers and sisters and playing and splashing. And then inevitably you look up and you think, who moved my family? And who moved our stuff? And who moved the pier? Well, in reality, none of those things move, but you move because you were going with the flow. You see, we live in a world that has a current and that current is always pushing towards godlessness. And so Paul wants to warn Timothy about this. In chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy this, But understand this, that in the last days, and that's just from the time of the ascension of Christ until his return, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, as we read through this list, I want you to pay attention because it sounds a lot like today. Verse 2, he says, For people will be lovers of self. I mean, let's just stop right there for a second. Our generation created the selfie. Of all of the things to be remembered for, it is us who created a picture that is just about us. In fact, in our world today, there is a category of death called death by selfie. That people are so in love with themselves and trying to get the perfect photo, they fall off cliffs and things like that. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, when you hear that list, it sounds like the nightly news, doesn't it? He keeps going. He says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Like there's this new moralism, the only problem is it lacks God's morals. And then he says, avoid such people. To which you say, wait, I, I thought we were supposed to be salt and light. Didn't Jesus hang out with sinners? Well, he did, but there's a couple of things. One, yeah. Jesus. And secondly, every time Jesus hung out with people, he was always the influence. He was never the one being influenced. Paul goes on to warn Timothy. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There's a couple of things here. Wherever the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ flourishes, so do women and children. And also he says, pay attention. Be weary of the people, particularly like Bible teaching kind of people, that always ask questions and they rarely make statements. They really intend to say things like, did God really say, or is that what the Bible really means? And then he gives a couple of examples. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Here's what he's saying, is that from Genesis 3 until today, our 
culture has been drifting towards godlessness. Just like Adam and Eve reached out for the forbidden fruit because they were looking for something other than the one true God for satisfaction and security. Anytime we do that and we live in a culture that does that nonstop, then we are drifting towards godlessness. And then he says, but you, however, so Timothy, here's your warning. Don't go with the flow. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Here's what he's saying. Timothy, not only have I discipled you with my words, but I have also discipled you with my life, with my example. Then he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you believe the word of God and you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you will come up against this culture. If you begin to stand on the truth of the word of God and believe what he says about all kinds of things, about love and life and marriage and family and all of these kinds of things, then this culture will come against us. And in fact, if you haven't bloodied your nose against this culture, it could be because you are just going with the flow. He goes on to say, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And then you may ask, all right, well, Paul, then how do we do this? How do we not get swept up in this godless current? And here's Paul's answer. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he gives this very famous verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Here's what Paul is saying. We live in a culture that that drifts us towards godlessness. But you, Timothy, and you, follower of Jesus, that we are to be anchored to the word of God. We are to be anchored to the Bible. This is how we are to stand firm against this world and its evil schemes. This is the anchor of our life. And he says this, he says, all scripture is God breathed. The the Greek there is theos noustos. That this book that I hold here is not just a history book. It's It's not just a book of instruction, but this thing is a miracle. This is God's very word to his people. It's theos noustos. I can only think of three things in all of the world that are theos noustos, that are God-breathed. One is, is Adam himself, that God forms together the dust of the earth and he creates the very first human being. The Hebrew word for dust is Adam, which was where we get the name Adam. And the Bible says that he is not yet a living being and he God breathes the breath of life into his nostrils and Adam opens his eyes and he is face to face with the almighty God. That's what every single one of us were created for. That's why the temporary things of this world just won't satisfy. Theos noustos, God breathed. The second I can find is this, is that after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles are hiding in the upper room because they're afraid that maybe they're going to be arrested next. And Jesus in his glorified body appears in this room. And the Bible says that he breathes on them. I mean, I don't know how this went, but I don't know if it was one at a time. He walked up. Hey, Matthew. 
hey James, or if it was like a birthday cake and he got them all together and said, but God breathed on them. What's happening there? See, I think what happened is happening is that is that the, the second Adam, Jesus, accomplished what the first Adam did not. And now God is breathing life into his apostles saying, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be the new creation. It's a really, really big deal. The only other thing in all of humanity is the scripture itself. That this, this is God breathed. So, so may you love the word. May you abide in his word. May you live the word. May you anchor yourself to the word. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, abide in my word and I will abide in you. That David in the psalm says, delight in his word. You know what it means to delight in his word? That's different than just kind of lightly reading it. That, that, that's like being obsessed with it. You ever been obsessed with something? I know you have. Maybe you know this feeling. When you're sitting on the couch and, and maybe you or your roommate or you and your wife are obsessed with some streaming network kind of show that's on. And then it turns off. And then the countdown begins. Ten. Nine. And you look at each other and you're like, should we watch another one? I know it's 30 minutes past our bedtime and, and we're going to hate it tomorrow, but I think it's worth it. Let's do it again. But what David is talking about, what Jesus is talking about, and here what Paul is talking about is may we be obsessed with the Word of God. I don't know the person that can go against the flow and the person that is in a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ that does not have a love for the Word of God and abides in the Word of God, lives in the Word of God, and anchors yourself to the Word of God so that you can go against the flow. Amen. Joby opened the session by highlighting the reality that the world as we know it is constantly pushing, pushing us towards godlessness. And this portion of Paul's letter to Timothy serves both as a warning and an encouragement. Paul opens chapter 3 with a phrase that can sometimes make us nervous in the last days. What thoughts come to mind when you hear the phrase, the last days? Does it frighten you, give you hope, and why? Well, based on what he said, we, we're living in the last days. The time between, he said, the time between the ascension and the tribulation. So we're in the last days. I think that's the way he phrased it anyways. Is that right? Anybody catch that? Mine says the words last days are more than a prediction. They are also an assessment of what was happening in Paul's time. I don't know if that makes a difference. So what, what thoughts come to mind when you think about the last days? Does it give you hope? I have an example to share. But I'm hoping that somebody else has something to say. It feels like it. I mean, but it feels like it. Everything around us is not godly at all. You know? What I, th what I think of when I think of the last days is Jesus is going to... We're in the time where Jesus has already come and He's ascended into heaven and He's there now and He's going to return. And we're waiting for that return. So with that in mind, what does that do to you? Does that give you... Does it frighten you? Does it give you hope? Yeah. 
hope that everybody's believers. Yeah. It's exciting for believers, but right. I guess you can say it's exciting but frightening at the same time. You know, because it all ties into what you say is have we shared the gospel enough? Have we talked to our friends enough? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. It should give us a bit of a heightened sense of urgency to think about it. Somebody, the example I had, a friend of mine, her name is Ariana, and she's she's going to Australia with us. This was probably five years ago she said this. She was having a bad day. And it was a it was at a Wednesday night study, and she wasn't emotional about this. She wasn't complaining. Uh, she was just sort of talking about the drudgery of life, which we all go through. Just you know, we're working, we're raising kids, and these are good things. These are these are godly things that we participate in, but it's exhausting sometimes. And she just said, uh, not in a complaining way. <clears throat> she just sort of said. I cannot wait for the day that I get to meet Jesus face to face. And it was the first time that I've ever heard somebody say that and and mean it, sort of. Like, I this world is a mess and I can't wait until I get to be with Jesus. And when I first heard it, I was like, that's a depressing thought. But then I thought, no, it's really not. Again, this was five or six or seven years ago when, when this happened. So I was quite immature in the faith probably at that time. But when she said it, it was uh, as I kind of uh, consumed what she said over a couple days period, it really meant something to me. And um, I still think about it. But a lot of people get all tied up in the oh, second coming. But each of us we're only here a short time. Whether he comes ten years, today or 50 years from now, mm-hmm. it ain't gonna make any difference to me because I ain't gonna be here. I'm gonna meet him before that happens. So, and, if, and if it is tomorrow, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be on his team anyway. That's right. That's what that Muslim fellow that I, I haven't talked to him in several days or weeks, but, uh, He's, he was asking me about Judgment Day. What do Christians believe about Judgment Day? And it's sort of a topic topic that I uh, ignore because it's complicated, it's complex. I don't have all the answers. And if I'm with Christ, it doesn't matter for me. I'm already covered. We each go to stand Judgment Day. Yeah. Well, whether it's at the end of time or the end of our life. Yeah. He he meant the end. He meant the the end of time when he was asking the question. And if the end of time is tomorrow, and we're believers, we've done all we can do. That's right. You know, so I don't need. There will be a season of life where I dig really deep into those things, but it makes my brain hurt, <laughs> and I feel like my thoughts just go in circles when I'm thinking about it. Uh, you should always live like he's ready to come in the next few minutes. Yeah. Which I'm guilty of not doing that at times. So, Paul says in the last days there will come times of difficulty, and he tells us why. In verses 2 through 5, he includes a long list of sinful behaviors that people will assume upon themselves. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and many other things. 
question. Looking at this list, to what extent would you say Paul describes our time and which of these sins stands out especially prevalent today? Does anybody want to read that list? I got it. Go ahead. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful and proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, not God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. I took it upon myself to underline some of them that stood out to me about myself, and not that it's my overwhelming foundation, but I have a tendency to be a lover of self, a lover of money, ungrateful, especially, uh, without self-control, and a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. And that's not, those aren't always... We, we would all be lying if we said that at times we didn't participate in some of these things. So I went ahead to open up the, to open up the conversation by saying I am guilty of some of these things myself. Um, so That's what I thought. When, I, when you read it, it's, it's not just condemnation of those that are believers. It makes you realize that we're all even believers. Susceptible at times to that. Oh, yeah. It also points out that mankind hadn't changed since he wrote that letter <laughs> over 2,000 years ago. Because they had that problem back then. We still got the problem. Yeah. And each, of, each generation thinks it's worse than it was before. Somebody, somebody asked me uh, on a Sunday recently, when are you going to talk about the sinfulness of the current age and on um, what these the sins that these older or the, that these young people are uh, participating in? And I thought, I'm not too sure sin has changed very much over the last <laughs> two or three thousand years. We're all sort of doing the same stuff we've always been doing. Uh, we just have the news to tell us about it a lot. <laughs> Get on social media right now. Yeah, it's just in your face. And now it's glorified by the culture instead of condemned. We were talking about, you know, a friend of mine was talking about how blatant witchcraft is in everything now. I mean, it's everywhere you look. It's in cartoons, it's everywhere. And it's on kids' games, you know what I mean? It's made out to be like it's fine, it's normal, you know? When I was growing up, I'd go watch magic shows. I'm like, oh, it's just a show. You know what I mean? Even like David Copperfield or whatever. You know, no matter what, the, the Bible is very serious when it comes to magic, you know what I mean? This is what it says, and it's like, you're labeling yourself that, and it's like, we all find it acceptable now. It's, it's wild the way the culture has instilled that into us. Mm-hmm. Like, just over the years. I was like, even reading Second Timothy here, I was like, I feel pretty good sometimes about things. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on the right track. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There's no way I pick up that Bible enough every single day. Yeah. You know? yeah. I watched a YouTube video. They said, if we treated our Bibles like our phone, the guy rolls out the bed and grabs the Bible yeah. and starts reading it. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to read the Bible. I'm like, that ain't, that ain't me at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Not, not in the love of the word like I should be. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's supposed to be at night. Yeah. There's a question about that at the end, so let's... <laughs> it hits pretty hard, too, if I remember correctly. So which of these things do you all struggle with personally? How do you seek to put these sins to death? The list that we just read... Um, what, what, what of these are you guilty of? I'm brutal. Brutal. How so? Mm-hmm. If I get my feathers ruffled, I I can be 
downright terrible. Yeah. I said, I, um, that I, I'm also brutal. You circled it. Underlined it. I underlined half the list, so I don't feel bad. Control, lovers of self, I'm sure. I, I guess it's sometimes boastful. I try not to be. Maybe it's perceived as boastful, but reckless. I'd say we're all guilty of lovers of pleasure yeah. rather than lovers of God. Well, though we don't want to admit it. Just like you said, if, if we're reaching for our phone instead of the, you know, if we believe, if, if uh, so 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed, if we actually believe that this is the actual Word of God sent to us in book form, and we, re- we reach for that phone, yeah, I mean, I don't know how it is on other phones. iPhone on it every Sunday at like nine or ten o'clock. Mine goes, ding, ding, ding. your screen time per day is three and a half hours, and I'm just like, oh, you kidding me? How is that even possible? And I know I'm not in this three and a half hours a day, you know. You got to put that there for a reason. Yeah. I need to throw that phone in the... I need to get a flip phone or something. But I don't know how it counts all that stuff. I can't... I don't, that's a distraction to me. I'll get on there and then I'll... Next thing I know, I'm on Amazon buying something silly. I'm going to focus some hard on uh, ungrateful. But like, I thank God every day for my job or peer protection over my job from home, you know, because I've been in the railroad business and it's dangerous everywhere. People die every day. And so I'm like, you know, I pray for these things and I thank you for the job, but then I'm out there and I'm complaining because it's raining. I'm complaining because I got to walk. I'm complaining because I messed something up. And then I think about how long they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because they, they were just complaining. That was the thing that kept them there. I kept them from entering the promise land, you know. Like I was like, I know God doesn't like a complainer, so I'm like, every time I'm like, sorry God, thank you for the rain. It's all pull me off, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, I try to look at it a different viewpoint. That's what I'm dealing with now. I was listening to a sermon of his today about uh, he preached on the Sermon on the Mount a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm listening to him, and he directed the crowd the audience to i can't remember it must be in philippians maybe it says do all things without complaining or grumbling do everything without complaining or grumbling and everything means what (laughs) everything and that is terribly difficult to wrap your mind around At the end of verse 5, Paul instructs Timothy to avoid such people. What sort of company do you keep? How do you balance Paul's instruction to avoid these kind of people with Jesus' command to be salt and light in a world drawn to godliness, godlessness? So in Matthew chapter 5, verses, whatever verses I'm covering this weekend, we will, we're talking about you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. But then in this Second Timothy, he says to avoid people that are, you know, worldly, essentially. And that's a struggle for me, like persistent. I've said it a hundred times in here. Persistence in sharing or persistence in loving people is a challenge for me. How do you, you know, how, there's, a, there's a scale of, okay, you're salt and light. 
or avoid people. And it's like, at a certain point, you have to do one or the other. Like if the, okay, if, you, if you've got salt and light on this side and, and avoidance on this side, how do you pick? And that's what this question's asking. How do you balance being salt and light and just getting away from people that are leading you astray? You know, leading you towards, pulling you towards the uh, current of the world. How do you, when is it okay to, to abandon someone essentially, I think is what it's really asking. Because I think there's times where we need to definitely do that. Well, I think that, um, you know, Jesus told the disciples to be in the world, but not of the world. And I think that, um, this is face, what's his name, what's his name? Joby. Um, just, you know, when he said, whenever Jesus was with these unbelievers he was the influencer so i think sometimes that is that is how we weigh things am i being a good influence on them or am i allowing them to influence me um it's just like you know when when i've I've known or helped whatever um been around people who are coming out of um maybe uh, some sort of dependency, maybe they've gone through rehab, maybe they went to jail for stealing, whatever. You know, you always say, look, you've, you've got to find a new crowd to hang with because if you go hang with the old crowd, you're going to be back into the old ways. Um, just because a lot of times, you know, they don't necessarily have that strength to stand against them. But yeah, it's, it's just sort of which way which way is it going? Are you influencing them or are they pulling you in towards godlessness? Mm-hmm. And right after he said that, you know, Jesus was the influence, influencer. He said, but be careful because you ain't Jesus. <laughs> he <Yeah>. said, <laughs> so I've got half this list underlined, you know, so I'm thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to uh, maybe disciple somebody or minister to somebody not to be a lover of self when I myself have it underlined, you know, it's, we're all lovers of self. That's on, it's, it's unavoidable. But, but, uh, I just think, my gosh, when do I, when do I need to depart from this relationship? I think that's answered for us maybe further down into the chapter in verse 13. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and totally believe. You have to decide. This person just going down the road and they're not ever changing from it. And just as Betsy said, you know, is it, is it, how is it changing your mind? And are you able to stick with what you firmly believe and what is taught in the scriptures? Because it goes on to say, your favorite, one of your favorite verses there about how the scripture is inspired by God. So how far is that person going away from what you've been taught? How, how much are they being deceived and how deceiving are they being? And at that point, that's when you have to draw that line. I think, I think practically too, like I've heard pastors say about counseling, for instance, uh, I'll give 
this is not my words, but I, I understand the words. I've heard this from many pastors. In a counseling session, I'll give people three sessions. And if they can't, if they don't begin to make corrections in those three sessions, I've got to depart from the situation because they're not willing to make a change. And I think when people are sort of unwilling, um, they begin to just sort of steal your time kind of situation. Uh, I think that's, we need to make ourselves available to people, but not, um, we, we can't physically solve everyone's problems and save the entire world. So we have to be strategic in our relationships and how we spend our time and, and things. This thing really reminded me of when Jesus went to get a resurrected girl and they were laughing at him and he kicked them all out of the house because it was like he didn't need them there. They weren't part of that. He needed his circle there that believed in him to make it happen. And then um, and even moving back to his hometown, you know what I mean? He was able to perform very few miracles because they didn't believe. And it's, it's important who we surround ourselves with. And then she would tell me a long time ago, you're either influencing them or they're influencing you. And I'm like, nonsense. I didn't believe it, you know what I mean? And then I had a friend of 20 years, and uh, I would try, like, every time he was there, I'd be listening to the Bible after something. He'd be like, oh, gosh. She's like, you're listening to that, blah, 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 you know? And he was just all about the world and everything that's going on in the world. And I was like, and so I was trying to minister to him. Well, what I found out is I'm not influencing him at all, but yet he was taking me back. Mm-hmm. And so now I talk to him, like, maybe once or twice every month. You know what I mean? Like, it's very seldom here and there. We don't hang out together. So I mean, it, it hurt because it was like, man, I'm a very loyal person. And 20 years is a long time to be with somebody, you know what I mean? And so it was like, I didn't want to let that go. But at the same time, I knew in order to grow in my faith, I had to leave that behind. Mm-hmm. And then I prayed for him. And then the other day, he actually mentioned going to church. And I was mm-hmm. like, there you go. I was like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> I couldn't have done it being there. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I had to do it just through prayer. I'm like, God, do it. Yeah. So. One of the most encouraging verses about persistence, because I lacked persistence at times is when Jesus tells the disciples to go into a town and there's people there that will welcome you and you're going to run into people that won't and when that happens wipe the dust on your feet off your sandals and move on you know and that's an encouraging bit of scripture like don't if people are unwilling don't beat them to death over it just move on so I've got a way when I read this that strikes me a little differently than how we've been talking about it. Because if we avoided everybody that met one of those, just one, you'd never, you'd never decide with them. You'd never, you'd avoid them. And that's everyone. You wouldn't have a friend, dude. So, but I, I just, the way I read sense, he lists, I don't know, 10 different, like, horrible traits. But then he wraps it up to say all these traits, the people that are doing those and have those traits will also they'll appear to be godly. But they don't they're not godly, they deny God's power and avoid them. You know, because there's people that can follow, you know, you, I'm not trying to say well, when you go to a mega church or something that preaches wealth and prosperity, they're they appear to be godly. But if you follow them and put your faith in God under their discipleship, you could be steered in a horrible way away from what the book is saying. I don't know. It's just because there's just no way you can avoid 
So everyone who has who loves money or might be proud, because everyone's proud. Everyone is proud of something that wants to. Everybody's been arrogant, probably. Everybody's been disobedient to their parents. That's. I don't know. It just seems like I mean, you, you could not build a great commission if you were to avoid anybody who has done any of these things. But I, mean, I, I don't know. That's just kind of the way I read it. It's just. Well, I think, too, there's a big difference in, you know, we've all admitted, or many of us tonight have admitted we're guilty of these things. There's a big difference in, you know, me sitting here saying I'm a lover of self. At times, I I love myself more than I love you all and more than I love God. There's a big difference in that and not even knowing, recognizing that you're a lover of self. You know, so the person that doesn't even recognize these things within themselves that's not good. And I don't know that that confirmed. Disciple. Huh? You have to disciple. Because if they don't know. Yeah. Then they're condemned. Lost. These, these are people who are sold out to it. They're just done. You know, they're, they're just that, that way continuously. And they don't want to change. Like with us, you know, we see it and we say, well, we know what's wrong. They don't see it that it's wrong. Yeah. That's their way of life. Just like in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, if you read these things and, and you think, oh my goodness, I am a lover of self. I'm a lover of money. I'm proud. You're poor in spirit, essentially. You're thinking, oh my gosh, there's many times where I'm swollen with conceit. And you think to yourself, I, I need Jesus. Jesus, allow me to cling to you. Those are healthy thoughts. You know, we're all guilty of most of these things, and and that that uh, reorients us or causes us to repent daily and say, Jesus, I need you instead of me. Uh, I don't want to be without self control. I don't want to have the appearance of godliness. I want to be godly, and I think that's probably the difference. I do. Uh, I think what's the preacher's name? Mm-hmm. So I, I guess he does make a good point about. So it's not about if you're teaching someone or talking to them or discipling them, whatever you want to call it. If you go with the flow with them, that's going to be Yeah. Just like you get that, that, that notion, you say, yeah, if you go with the flow, the world is going to pull you that way. Then the pull, the current strong, just like Randy was saying, if he stuck around with that dude he was hanging around with, he would be pulled away from godliness and pulled more towards godlessness. And I think that's when that's when we have to to weigh the scales. Salt and light, run away. Like, is this going to hinder my faith? And if it's going to, then run. Because it, if we don't run, we're going to be tempted to sin because of the other person's uh, sin. It's like you try to disciple them. And you try to teach them and preach them, and, you know, show them what the Bible says and everything, and they don't want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, eventually, it's like, okay, well, it's like, got to pray for you from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. I had some patient the other day, her husband. Um, we kind of got a conversation, and we were trying to put your sermon Sunday, too, when you're talking about, you know, like different countries where there's persecution going on and stuff. So she spoke, I think it was Kurdish, but she spoke some English, she spoke English. But so I was like, oh, so where are you from? You know, and their country is close to Iran. 
so we were talking about their country, but he's been in this country for about 14 years now. What country is it? It starts with a K, but it's close to Iraq. Kazakhstan or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I was in, he was showing me yeah, this country, and he's showing pictures of this country, and I'm like, so I said, yeah, we were talking in church the other day about, you know, oppression is that our people freedom to pursue religions in your country, or, you know, how does that work? And, and he was Muslim, it turned out, you know, and uh, he's like, oh, yes, he says, you can worship Satan if you want to, but they don't care. And he said, we kick everybody out of our country that causes any problems, but mm. you're free to worship whoever you want in their country, is what he told me. Until it's Jesus. But we talked about Jesus, too, but um, <laughs> we got into um, this long conversation, and, he, and when he was talking about the Koran a lot, you know, and when they talked about the Koran, I mean, he was bringing up things I knew from the Bible, you know, because he was talking about Abraham and different things, and then um, he did mention Jesus, and from what he told me, they believe in Jesus as a prophet, and Jesus is coming back, but He's coming back to judge us for making him a god when he's not. That we're going to suffer for that because, you know, Muhammad and all that stuff that came after him. But we had a really nice, interesting conversation. But to me, like, he had a form of godliness, you could say that, but not, you know, following the right path. Yeah. So, um, but, I mean, we had a really nice conversation. and. But, you know, when I got out of the room finally, um, because he was not going to let me go <laughs> until we had this conversation, we kept talking and talking and talking. But I was like, I admired his dedication, though. I mean, if we could be like that to grab on people and say, hey, do you know Christ? Mm -hmm. Just keep a hold of them and really just try to talk to them. But he definitely had dedication um, as far as, you know, trying to show me his way. And I talked to him about my way and Jesus and what I believe. And I told him I was a Christian, you know, so we had that conversation. But eventually I said, I, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go take care of some patients, so I'm going to have to leave now. But, you know, I saw him in the hall. We talked a little bit later. But, you know, we had a very pleasant conversation. He told me a lot about his country and his religion. But, yeah, but, but to me, like you said, there was a form of godliness, but not what it should be. I tell you, you what. Know, following. But he's, there, he's, he was very dedicated to the Quran. And, it is, it's difficult. It is so difficult. It's just. But, you know, but I was just like, you know, I'm just going to be nice. And we, we had a great conversation about this country and different things. And you showed me pictures of it. It's a beautiful country where it's from. But, you know, how they make a living, you know, and, and all this things that she can visit my country, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we had that conversation. But. That Islam is so, Islam is not what we, is not 9-11. Islam is not people flying planes into buildings. Yeah. Muslims are, Muslims I don't know a lot of Muslims, but the Muslims I've encountered are kind. They are devoted, extreme yes. devoted, like in such a respectable way. Like they take this seriously. If we Christians would take Christianity as seriously as Muslims take Islam, we'd be on to something. Yes, they they live it. Yes, they live the word by the way the women dress, the food they eat, how they speak. They live it. This is this is a hard point to make because it's um, this point I'm getting ready to make goes against our culture of being uh, acceptable of everybody and everything and all ways of life. But what is one theme of First and Second Timothy that we've hammered on for the last months? Uh, 
false teaching. False teaching. Islam is if we believe if we believe that all scripture is God breathed, we should also believe that Islam is false teaching because it's not scriptural. So it it has been to meet this man that is so kind and he's so nice and he's so devoted to all of these beliefs that I don't believe. It was sort of like a it was one another one of those things. Like I don't think I'm in a season of life to be uh, evangelizing to Muslims because it is terribly challenging. Yes, it's yeah. terribly it's challenging. Like we talked about Abraham and the things he was talking about for him are biblical. somewhat. You know what I mean? They don't believe in any of Paul's writings. None of them. But there's some of the stories are similar or enough that you're like, oh yeah, that's in the Bible. You yeah. Kind of talk. The the big hang up is the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one God. Jesus is God. That's right. But but you get so uh, you sort of fall in love with them. We do love them. We should love them. But but like when he's talking up, it it. Uh, it murkies up my own belief when I talk to him because I'm like, I want this guy to be in heaven as well. And I hope that one day something happens that he is also there. And it it like it murkies up my Oh yes. I'm talking about devoted in a way like he was when we Yeah, yes. And and it's all scary. Yes, it is. It almost, it almost feel like um, like your brother, you know, Christ almost. He said this. This guy said when we met. I sorry, I keep cutting you off. He said, he said uh, we had been together for like thirty minutes. He said, I feel like we've known each other for a really long time, and I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I agree, a hundred percent. We're we're buddies, and we haven't known each other for an hour, you know. And uh, not that I don't love the guy, but I thought. I think it's sort of dangerous for me to be around this guy because I think it's going to cause my faith to waver some. Yeah, it would be someone that wasn't around, but you know, but you know, I just tell him what I believe, but you know, I didn't have to cut the conversation off and then just leave, you know, because I would have still been there, you know, because he wasn't going to let me go. <laughs> yeah. But um, but they will not let their wives speak because she gets good signings, but our coaches usually they don't let the wives talk to us. Mm-hmm. You're very adamant. I asked him because I met, I don't know if y'all remember, I met a Muslim woman at the YMCA and she had a hijab on or whatever. And I, her boys got hurt. One of her boys got hurt. So I was, you all right, buddy? And blah, blah, blah. The reason that they can't, they have to have a, uh, a Muslim woman has to have a, sorry, we're getting sidetracked, but a Muslim woman has to have a witness with her to speak to another man. Like if, if that woman had a sister with her, she could have spoken to me. She did speak to me, but she was real reluctant. And uh, that did make me want to start speaking more too. So you could get patients that are different. You should keep up the good work. <laughs> All right, we got to cut to the end, and I want to get to the, the last couple of questions. Let me see. Okay, here's the challenging one about the Bible reading. According to Joby, we stand firm in a culture drifting steadily towards godlessness by anchoring ourselves to the Word of God. How regularly do you read your Bible? What attitude do you bring to your Bible reading? What prevents you from reading your Bible regularly? That's a hard word for me. Regularly. 
How often do you read your Bible? That's an easier word. I read mine every day. I look forward to, that's my me time in the morning. Get up between like 4.30 and 5 and I look forward to it every day. What attitude do you bring towards your Bible reading? I, I love it. I'll say some chapters or books more so than others. You reading Leviticus right now? <laughs> it's a challenge, but you know some are uh, more exciting than others. We'll say, but I can tell you that five years ago there was no way I would be interested in the genealogy or mm. certain books of the Bible, and God has been faithful to show me things in the drier parts of the Bible that I never thought existed. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful to read commentaries and and other people preach through certain things uh, to get you through that stuff too. It takes more time to do those things, but uh, like that's why I love these letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. They're they're self-explanatory. They're they're easy to understand. Some of that Old Testament stuff is not. Anybody else? If you're not willing to answer, if as you analyze, certainly you know how often you need to be reading. And I'm guilty of this too. I, I've kind of fallen in the trap here at Bellevue to I'm only reading uh, <coughs> to accomplish some sort of uh, work task. So there's a weird murky area of like I'm I got to write a sermon, so I'm reading this. And uh, but but as far as like personal personal reading it's all good all of those things are good but maybe i'm not digging in as deep uh on a personal level but i i am in a season right now where i'm like i learn a whole lot as i'm preparing some i learn I've, I've noticed that i hang on to things more as i'm preparing to teach but i think there will be a time where i get used to that i get i get in a rhythm and it, it no longer is that way so i'm gonna have to re-strategize but read your bible is what this is saying every day if it's the actual if if verse 16 all scripture is god breathed out by god and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in right and righteousness that the man of god be complete equipped for every good work if we believe that all scripture is god breathed we should hold it pretty tight in our pocket and in our heart and that's all I've got. We have a business meeting. James has come in and he's kicking us out. I am. Yep. <laughs> Would someone who is yet to volunteer to pray us out, pray us out? I will, I guess. Have you done it before? No. Okay. I was just messing up. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to gather here today together to be free, to read our Bibles, to worship, to share our truths together. Thank you so much for each and every one who came tonight. Please be with us as we go on this week. Whatever challenges we face, whatever praises we have, please be with us each and every day. Please bring us back here on Sunday morning together and... 
Let us get home safe. Please be with those who have um, unspoken prayer requests. And we thank you so much for today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.